It's good to fellowship together, isn't it? Aggressive fellowship, I think, is what we call it here at BCO. It's hard, <laughs> it's hard to break up. It is hard to break up. But we worship through fellowship. We worship through song. We worship through prayer. And now we worship through the word. So would you please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. I have the joy of walking you all through this very interesting passage. And I think you'll find the first verse familiar. And maybe the rest of it pretty unfamiliar in comparison. It's interesting. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8 and I'll read starting in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge... My judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Let me pray one more time as we sit under God's word. Lord, would you teach us this morning from this passage? We pray that you would help us to understand more the depth of darkness in the Pharisees' unbelief. And as we see that darkness, may we see the light of Christ all the more. Amen. Well, have you ever been awestruck by light? Maybe it was the kaleidoscope of colors across a horizon after a summer rain. I really like those in Oklahoma. It's not something that we got in Spokane very much. Or maybe it was a, a sunrise that bur was bursting up from a dark sky, bursting up into a dark sky. Light is powerful. Light reveals, and it reveals beauty. 
But I have, I have another question. Maybe you've been awestruck by the light. Have you ever been exposed by the light? When I was around six years old, my parents told me and my brother to clean my room. And uh, naturally, we decided that we did not want to do this very arduous task of picking up probably 20 toys, I don't know. So we devised a plan that now looking back probably required just as much work, um, but we were ignorant. And so we, we decided that we'd stuff all of our toys into, into the, the dark places of our room. Now, I, I distinctly remember putting our toys in a trash can. So I'm like, why would, I, why would I have done that? But we wanted to conceal the mess. We wanted to just do something easy, put the toys away in these dark places so my parents wouldn't see it. Our room would look clean, and it looked spotless. And I, now, that, now that I think about it, maybe it looked a little too spotless. It didn't take my parents very long to start to uncover those dark places in the room and reveal all of the toys not put back where they were supposed to go. That was a memorable experience for me. And, and the light did what, what light does. Light reveals, and it can be glorious. But light also exposes, and it can be very ugly. So it is with our passage this morning. You heard, and you probably recognized Jesus' declaration, I am the light of the world. And you heard how, without even skipping a beat, the Pharisees instantly deny everything that Jesus just said. And in connection with that, John gives us, in this passage, a study in contrasts. And at the top of the list of those contrasts is the contrast between light and darkness. So the main point, the idea that I want you to see in this passage this morning is this. The light of the world exposes the darkness of unbelief so that we may see and follow Christ. And this passage really is a study in contrasts, and that's how we're going to walk through the narrative this morning. So let's look first at the contrast between light and darkness. In verses 12 and 13, Jesus makes this declaration. And like I said, the Pharisees instantly deny it. And so that, that back and forth between Jesus and the Pharisees, that's the, that's the framework for this passage. And it's, it's in verse 12 that Jesus proclaims and gives one of, one of his famous I am statements. Once again, Jesus is revealing his identity as the Son of God and his purpose as Savior. And once again, the Pharisees stand at the helm of those who oppose him. 
Verse 12. Let's look at it. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, this passage begins with the word, again. <clears throat> and since, since all signs point to this story, the story that comes right before this in the text of your Bibles, uh, not being original to John's gospel, the again must refer to what happened back in chapter 7. Now, if that's new to you, uh, Pastor Ted sent out a, a, a very helpful email about that this week. If you have questions, we would love to talk to you, um, but I will not discuss that right now. We've got to move. And so we left off at the end of chapter 7 with the Pharisees basically seething with rage because these temple guards come back empty-handed. They were supposed to arrest Jesus, and they didn't do it. And what provoked that whole scene was Jesus' call on the last day of this great feast called the Feast of Booths. And Jesus said, if, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. As the people gathered in Jerusalem and, and joined in these, in these rituals of the feast, one of those rituals was a water ritual. And as they took part in this ritual, they remembered God's past provision and they hoped in his future promises. And Jesus proclaimed, and we saw in chapter 7, that he is the fulfillment of all that that picture, pictured. <clears throat> and our passage this morning just returns us to that context. After speaking to the people about water, Jesus speaks to them again about light. And it probably wouldn't surprise you to know that light is also a significant aspect of this feast. In the evening, towards the end of this feast, the priests would light four lamps in kind of the outer court of the temple where the Jews would go, and there would be a great time of rejoicing. The men would dance and sing songs of praise as the people looked to Yahweh, who was their light. After all, if you think about it, it was the light from the pillar of fire that led the Israelites to safety in the Exodus generation. It was the psalmist who cried out, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It was Zechariah in Zechariah 14 who foretold of a coming day when light from God would continually dawn and rivers of living water would flow from Jerusalem. Does that sound familiar to any of you? And so the lights that shone over the celebrating Israelites at this great feast pictured these ancient truths and future promises that God had made to his people. And at that time, 
Jesus proclaimed to all of them, I am the light of the world. What, what Christ is saying is kind of like this. I'm the one who will fulfill all these hopes. I'm the light that the Old Testament continually speaks of. I'm its fulfillment. I'm the son sent from the father to lead the people into the light of life. I'm the king who will do away with the darkness and bring to pass all of God's promises. Look again at at verse 12. We need to think about something here because Jesus' identity His declaration of this identity compels a response. Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. So those who follow Jesus have this light of life. They have eternal life. But those who do not follow Jesus are in the darkness. And so Jesus' words here divide humanity in two. Those who follow Christ and have light. Those who are in darkness and have no hope. And so we have to realize, like, Jesus is throwing down the gauntlet here. This is a declaration that must be either believed or denied. And he's saying to all the people that are gathered at this feast, if you do not follow me, you're in darkness. And that light exposes the Pharisees in their unbelief. And that's what we see in verse 13. Look at it with me. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus' words demand a response. And the Pharisees, because they don't want to obey that response, only have one recourse, which is to completely deny what Jesus says. Now, I think that we've all kind of been here before. We've all done a little bit of what the Pharisees are doing. Maybe there's been a time that you have been personally criticized by somebody else and that criticism has been true. And it hurts to be criticized. Now, there's options there. You can respond in humility and say, yes, that's true. I know that's true. I need to change that. I think from time to time, we do what the Pharisees do here. Instead of responding to the statement of truth, you avoid it by criticizing the way that the person said it. The way that you said that was not good. And so you you attack the, the speaker to avoid the exposure. So how the Pharisees respond to Jesus is not unfamiliar to us. Jesus, in saying this, hits a nerve. And the Pharisees feel the jab, and they react. 
to avoid the truth of the declaration, they just deny it. And they deny it on the basis of this idea of testimony. And that brings us back to something that Jesus said in John chapter 5. He said, if I alone bear witness, if I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. And so the Pharisees think that they've got him. We caught you, Jesus. You're bearing witness about yourself. I mean, you said if you do that, your testimony is not true. We're just using your own words. And I think this is where John begins to expose the darkness of the Pharisees in the face of the light of the world. Because in trying to catch Jesus in his words, the Pharisees show just how massively they've missed him. The judgment that they bring upon him is is false to begin with. They've taken Jesus' words out of context. This is the same uh, kind of soundbite misquote that you see on Twitter all the time today. They just manipulate his words a tiny bit in order to deny his statement. And it all serves to, fall, to, to highlight what Jesus just said in verse 12, that if you're not following me, you're in the darkness. The Pharisees' capacity, their ability to, to completely ignore Jesus' declaration, and, and even their, their hardness of heart to reject him on the basis of such an empty accusation, reveals that they are in the darkness. kind of like when you blindfold someone, which I know you all do all the time. That's a very common, very common thing. No, you probably haven't done it since like, maybe, maybe the last time you were blindfolded was at your fifth birthday party or something. But, but, but I know that we've, maybe we've had this experience. You tie the banana around somebody's eyes and you ask if they can see, and of course they say yes. So you have to, you have to test this out, right? You have to know that they can't see. And so you, so you draw your hand back and you like... Do that, and then you stop short, of course. You don't, just, you don't actually hit them. And they don't even flinch, right? And then you know they can't see. This is like the Pharisees. Their, their inability to see Jesus is, is exposed by this response. The fact that they're able to completely deny it and avoid it demonstrates they're the ones with this blindfold on. And so... Jesus, the light of the world, is exposing the darkness of the Pharisees' unbelief. Now, John is relating this for a purpose. He's writing this gospel because he wants his readers to come to the light. He wants them to respond to the gospel message. He wants them to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That's that's his purpose that he states at the end of the gospel. So how does this conversation here relate to John's purpose? Why does he give such a close-up look at the Pharisees' unbelief? In showing us the darkness of the Pharisees, John's appealing to his readers to come to the light. He's showing us the extreme outcome of hardness of heart, the extreme outcome of walking in darkness, and he appeals to his readers, he appeals to us 
come to the light. This is what darkness will do to you. Don't stay there. And so I, I just ask, what is your response? What's your response to the call of Christ? Are you following him? Does that verb characterize your Christianity? Because if it does not, it is no Christianity at all. That is how Christ defines what it means to know him. Follow me. If you're listening to this message and you know you're an unbeliever, you have to recognize you're in, you're in danger of, of doing the same thing that the Pharisees did, which is hardening your heart at a, at a commensurate rate to Jesus' greater and greater revelation of himself. That's tragic. It's tragic as we watch it unfold in John's gospel. But there's an alternative, which is to acknowledge that you're in the darkness and to come to the light. Now, as believers, there are still ways that we can act like the Pharisees. How do we respond to conviction from God's word? Are we trying to, to get around it? When God exposes disobedience in your life, do you respond in repentance or do you wrestle with it for a while? To follow the light of the world is to have the darkness in your heart increasingly exposed. That's the life of repentance and faith. But it's the best thing for us. Because as Jesus says in verse 12, to follow him is to have the light of life. So we've seen the first contrast, this contrast between light and darkness. Let's look at the second one. Contrast between truth and error. Look at verse 14. This is Jesus' response to the Pharisees. As Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? This is a long response from Christ. So let's look at this, the big picture, and then we'll break it down a little bit more. In these verses, Jesus responds directly to the, what the Pharisees have denied. They said, your testimony is not true. Jesus responds, it is true. And then Jesus shows the Pharisees and the crowds and us why it's true. And just as the light of Christ exposes the darkness of the Pharisees, the truth of Christ exposes the error of the Pharisees. And it's their judgment that is found 
wanting. If Jesus' testimony is true, unlike the Pharisees have accused him, that means he is the light of the world. He really is the fulfillment of all that the the feast is pointing to. And the Pharisees are the ones who are wrong. So then we have to ask, what what is Jesus' testimony? What is Jesus saying about himself here? First, he talks about his origin and his destination. Look at verse 14. He says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. And so Jesus' testimony is true because he knows where he came from and he knows where he's going. He knows his origin and his destination. Now, I think this, at first glance, might seem like an interesting way to start. How does that connect to uh, an actual demonstration of, of who he is? He's not giving them some sign. He's not giving them some uh, thing to, to say, here's, here's my evidence. Here it is on paper. He says, I know where I come from and where I'm going. But I, but I think this actually makes a lot of sense. Of course it does. And, and I, let, me, let me help explain that a little bit more. Men, stereotypes exist in part because they're true. And there's a stereotype about men. Uh, it's that we don't like to ask for directions. Okay. Now, I think Google Maps might shield us a little bit from, from this, but I know I'm, I'm still very tempted to fall into the stereotype. And especially as I kind of get used to Tulsa, like I try to find my way around, it has not gone well a few, quite a few times. And so I, I was thinking about this, and I, I think a, a legitimate question, and maybe a question you've been asked if you've been in this situation is, uh, do you actually know where you are? And then you're like, yeah, we're, we're in a street. <laughs> now, now I have a follow-up question that I think would be a real zinger for those who want a zinger, it would be this, like, okay, then, then can you explain to me how we got here from where we were? Okay, explain that. And then can you explain how we're going to get here to our destination? If, if you lose all sense of where you came from, then you have no idea where you're going and you don't know where you are. So, where Jesus is right now, giving this testimony about himself, is informed by the fact that he knows where he came from. And he knows where he's going, which means he knows where he is. He can give testimony about himself. It's the Pharisees who are completely lost. And so once again, the the truth of Jesus' testimony exposes the error of the Pharisees. The light of the world exposes the darkness of unbelief. Now in verse 15, Jesus digs even deeper into, into this error. He talks about judgment 
You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it's not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. And we know this, that if, you're, if your premise is bad, if your starting point is bad, in, maybe in an argument, in a paper, or something, your conclusion is going to be impacted by that bad premise. And that's what Jesus is pointing to here. The Pharisees are working off of a bad premise, a fleshly premise. The very first question that the Pharisees asked Jesus in the Gospel of John was, by whose authority do you do these things? And they've only become more and more recalcitrant, hardened. They judged like judges in a courtroom by the wrong set of evidence. They judged according to the flesh, not by God's standards. And so Jesus responds, he says, I, I judge no one. And then in the very next breath, he says, yet even if I do judge. So what is that? What is Jesus saying there? Does he judge? Does he not judge? He's saying, this, this, is, a, this is Jesus emphasizing the point. I do not judge like you judge, Pharisees. My judgment is on a completely different plane. If we're talking your kind of judgment, I don't even judge anyone because I don't judge anyone that way. When Christ judges, it is absolutely true. He says, for it's not I alone who judge, but the Father, but I and the Father who sent me. The Pharisees try to catch Jesus in error. They say your testimony is not true, and Jesus turns this whole claim around on them, they're the ones in darkness. They're the ones in error. Jesus, his judgment is not only true, it's divine. Because he judges alongside God the Father. I read an amazing statement in a book this last week about this idea of God's judgment. And this author says, he says this, he says, judicial authority is the chief attribute of royal dignity. If you're the king, you're the judge. He says, hence God, the highest king, is also the judge of all the earth. God always judges righteously. He never errs. He judges truthfully because he is the truth and Jesus is God in human flesh and his judgment can never be false. The absolute truthfulness of Jesus' judgment exposes the error of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are on this human plane with fleshly motives. And so they'll always judge incorrectly. And so the light shines brighter and exposes the darkness still more. And that idea of judgment is just one piece of this larger idea about Jesus' testimony. And so now Jesus drops the 
anvil on them. The Pharisees deny him because he's testifying about himself. And so now Jesus brings another witness to the stand. And it's a witness that they're going to have a really hard time refuting. He says in verse 17, your law. Your law. Jesus responds to the Pharisees by pointing to the very law that they built their entire lives around. And in that law, the testimony of two people is true. And Jesus has two witnesses, himself, the Son, and God, the Father. There are no better witnesses to bring to the stand. The case is closed. But again, what we're seeing in this passage is that as Jesus is exposing the truth, as Jesus is revealing the truth, the darkness is exposed more and more. And it reveals the hardness of heart. And so the Pharisees respond with this question, where is your father? The only plane that the Pharisees can think on is a human plane. Jesus has just said your judgment is fleshly and they prove it by asking a question about physical location. Where's your dad? Like on a map. Where is he? We don't see him. Jesus isn't talking about the physical. The only father that the Pharisees can conceive of him talking about is some human father. Do you see how Jesus' declaration, his word to the Pharisees is just exposing how unbelieving they are, how unable they are to see what he's saying. And so we have to ask the question, what do we learn from this? I think one thing that we do learn is how do we approach evangelism? Are we, are we expecting to, to have a different response than the response that our own Messiah got? And when somebody responds like the Pharisees, does that discourage us? Does it take us a few months before we work up the courage to share the gospel with somebody again? This is our Savior. This is how hardened these men were, just completely unable to see. But Jesus, I mean, he graciously keeps talking to these guys and trying to expose their darkness so they could come to the light. The Pharisees have asked another hard-hearted question about location, and Jesus responds to them. And so now we look at the final contrast of this passage, which is the contrast between knowledge and ignorance. Knowledge and ignorance. And graciously, mercifully, to a fleshly question that really doesn't even make sense, Jesus gives a spiritual answer. And I think that the answer Jesus gives really reaches to the core problem with the Pharisees. Look at verse 19. 
They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. We already know the Pharisees are the ones who are most hostile to Jesus. They are the prime example of hostility towards Christ. They're the ones who will lead the charge in crucifying the Messiah. And I think it's, it's important then, isn't it, for us to know what's, what's at the root, what's at the bottom of their hostility towards Christ. John wants us to see that here. Their ultimate problem the ultimate problem of the worst kind of unbelief is ignorance of God. And when I say ignorance, I don't mean a passive ignorance. I mean a a hardened, active, willful ignorance. Behind all of their posturing, behind all of their claims to know Yahweh, behind all their zeal for doing exactly what the law required and building other laws around it so that they could, so that they could obey God, there was a complete ignorance of who God really was. And Jesus, in his coming, exposes these false shepherds he just says, you actually don't know me. And if you don't know me, you don't know God. That's what led to their errors in judgment. That's what led to their dark response, their hardened response. They didn't know God. And so when Christ came, they rejected him. John 1, 18 says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Christ is making himself known to the Pharisees. They deny it because they don't know the God who sent him. They don't know Jesus. This is actually the, the problem with all of us. We see it most acutely in the Pharisees because of the, this outer shell of religiosity and performance and they seem like they're so good to the people. But they believed they would come to God on their own terms and in seeking to come to God on their own terms, they did not know him at all. Christ is so merciful to show them that. Christ came to make God known on God's terms. And the Pharisees only saw Christ on their terms. And thereby, they cut themselves off from a true knowledge of God. And so... Once again, the light of the world exposes the darkness of unbelief. Jesus brings to light the, the ultimate spiritual problem that they faced. 
The problem that if they were willing to admit, yes, we don't know God, they would be saved. But how do they respond? Look at verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. The conversation ends with Jesus. The, the, the words are Christ's words. And then John summarizes. But in summarizing the end and ending this narrative, John shows us something of the Pharisee's response. Because he, he makes a contrast here. He says, these things Jesus spoke, but no one arrested him. Which implies they wanted to. It was actually surprising that they didn't. And the only reason they didn't is because of God's sovereign plan for the Messiah. When God reveals the light to a human heart, when, 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 when the light comes, when the light proclaims, when the light shows himself to humanity, there are only two ways to respond. Ultimately, only two ways. To embrace the light or to extinguish it. And when Jesus shines the, the, this floodlight into the dark center of the Pharisees' hearts, they not only refuse to come to the light, they intend to put the light out. The only reason that doesn't happen here is because God ordained it would happen really in just a few months from this time Jesus' hour would come. The darkness would rear its ugly head. And, and it would even seem to put out the light. But John already told us at the beginning of his gospel, the light can't be extinguished. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What, what we're watching at this point in John's gospel, what we're beginning to see is, is, is our Lord, our Christ, walking straight into the darkness, shining like the sun. This is John's way of showing us what the other gospel writers tell us, that, that Jesus set his face like flint towards Jerusalem, toward the cross, toward the darkness. When his hour comes, the light will flicker. It will seem to go out, but it will burst forth in resurrection glory never to go out again. 
This is what our Savior does. What he's doing in the Pharisee, with the Pharisees is good. And when he does this in your heart, it is good, painful as it might be. So, dear saints, are you following the light? And are you willing, ready to have your darkness exposed by Christ? Don't let anything divert, distract, or deceive you. And unbeliever, don't be like the Pharisees. Come to Christ now. You're seeing the ultimate result of continuing to harden the heart. So just acknowledge the darkness that Christ is exposing. This is a very amazing passage. And see what Jesus is able to do even when he gets denied. <laughs> even when that initial statement he makes is just completely denied. And he still mercifully responds to these very hateful men. And as we come to this table, I think we need to acknowledge how great the mercy of the Savior is. Even in their unbelief, Jesus seeks to reveal to them their ultimate problem so that they could repent, so that they could open their eyes to, to the light. As we come to the table, as we remember Christ's death for our sins, we must remember we must glory in his mercy. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He had to do what he did to the Pharisees. He had to do to us. He had to confront us in our darkness and call us to the light. Praise the Lord. Men, would you come as, as we prepare to take communion together?